Non-Servia Media presents an interview from one of our early interview projects, previously available only on our YouTube channel. Exploring Anarchism 2016 with Grant Mincy on Ecology and Freedom. So, uh, my name is uh, Grant Mincy. Uh, I am a senior fellow at the Center for Statement Society. I hold the Eleanor Ostrom Chair of uh, Environmental Studies and Commons Governance. That one's a mouthful. I'm also a biology professor at a uh, local community college in Knoxville, Tennessee. So, um, anarchism means a lot of things to different people. So, when I consider myself an anarchist, I do kind of take the Chomskyan, the more Chomskyan viewpoint on that, which is um, systems of power and domination exist, but just because they exist, it doesn't mean that they are legitimate. Um, so it's it's the role of a of a people who wish to be free to challenge that legitimacy, um, and then of course there's tools and strategies to dismantle illegitimate power, uh, obviously, um, and there's different ways to do that, but the, when I consider myself an anarchist, it's just that. Um, not accepting systems of power and domination just because they're simply there. Right. So environmentalism to me is pretty important um, just from a, a personal standpoint. Um, I kind of grew up in the natural world. My, my favorite vacations as a child, uh, I grew up in Michigan, my favorite vacations as a child was actually going to the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. And I loved it. I mean, I loved the tuttles of rhododendron, and I loved the damp earth, and I mean, I loved everything about it. Um, so I think um, just for my parents getting me out, it was something that I really liked. Um, professionally, it's really important because as I, I did my undergraduate and then graduate studies in environmental science, I really started learning the importance of considering yourself a biological organism inside of an environment and I think um, a lot of people don't can don't think that way that somehow humans are separate from the natural world when we're really not um, from having to eat you know a largely a plant-based based diet to um, air pollution being uh, the one of the leading leading killers in the world we are biological organisms and we are impacted by our environment so if I want to maximize human liberty and freedom um, and and then I think that it's important to get the message out that we actually are part of an ecosystem, that we are biological organisms, um, and that idea that life isn't disposable. If you're going to trash the planet, you have to trash people. Um, and that's, that's an idea that I think a free society would want to reject. So in a stateless society, uh, preserving the environment and the, the question always does come down to you know so the, the, the federal government does a lot to protect, protect the environment so what are we going to do with these greedy corporations right um, and so and fair enough the state does a lot to protect the environment um, but the state also has some problems as well when it comes to protecting the environment so if we take the uh, the Endangered Species Act um, the nation's most powered the United States most powerful environmental law um, well, since it was passed, it's been in, it's been brought in front of courts. Um, holes have been punched through it, and from a conservationist perspective, all these years later, it's really not all that effective. Um, it takes a long time uh, to move through the court process, and in the meantime, these species are still going extinct. Um, 
I would also note that the state does supply, especially fossil fuel corporations, with exuberant uh, amounts of money um, so that those corporations themselves don't have to do internal risk pooling. It doesn't matter how much um, um, money they spend on extracting a resource because it's subsidized by taxpayers. Um, and then um, afterwards, the true environmental cost is left to these uh, local people to have to deal with it. Um, so, yeah, the EPA does a lot to help regulate our air quality and things like that, but the, the, the government itself also pollutes quite a bit as well. And I'd also point out the importance of the industrial military complex there. Whatever gains the state's making in environmental health, um, it's uh, quest for resources and, and, and the footprint of the military uh, is the largest in the world. So how do we keep people from running away and polluting without some centralized structure? I would also note that centralized structures, they build these top-down solutions, sweeping policy for very complex problems. Climate change, for instance. It's a very complex issue. It's global in scale. So we have this, these big top-down ideas about how to deal with it. But it's important to remember that environmental issues, all environmental issues and climate change included, there are local and there are regional consequences to that as well. And so when you start developing ideas at the local level to the regional level and then on up the chain of command, um, you get complex policies for complex issues. And you also have a diversity in those policies. So operating under the rules like natural selection would you can actually select for the best types of policies to carry you through a, a certain period. So I would actually advocate in a stateless society where we're, where we're looking at things locally and regionally, we actually get a big diversity in policy that can help with these complex issues, more so than what a centralized authority would be able to do, more better outcomes. So with greens and, and, greens and technology, um, when we interact there, I do think that it's fundamentally important to question technology, and um, and it, this isn't an anti-technology uh, position. Um, I love technology, um, so I, I use technology all the time. I think uh, technology is a great way to enhance human communication systems that actually allow us to share ideas. Um, but technology is also dangerous, and I, I would say that when we examine what's fueling our technology with fossil fuels, there's something to look at and there's something to examine there. Um, when we look at emerging technologies, we also get really important social justice ideas. Biomimicry, right? That's a new emerging technology. Um, respecting the wisdom of organisms. So when we look at our tech, right, we have our <laughs> smartphones and those are great, you know, but what's behind that? We got vacuums and furnaces and fossil fuel emissions and we, but we get this, this nice hard piece of plastic with some metal inside of it that does wonderful things for society. Twitter's great, right? Um, but then there's biomimicry. You know, the clam uses its natural environment to create hard parts, right? Um, our own skeleton creates uh, pound per pound stuff that's harder than steel within our own bodies. Um, so questioning technology and the types of technology that are used isn't necessarily an, an anti-technology position. It's a great position to take in the early part of the 21st century because if we're going to ask how we move forward, um, questioning these old forms of technology and, and trying to push forward these newer, sustainable, and healthier ideas, um, I, I, think it's a, I think that melds with environmentalism great. 
so wild anarchism and, and reconciliation ecology. Um, if you if you Google wild anarchism, you get uh, uh, something called rewilding comes up, which is pretty much the anarcho-primitist uh, position, um, which is not a position that I hold. But also, if you if you if you Google green anarchism, um, that trends to, towards the primitive lifestyle as well, and that's that's perplexing to me because that's that's not me at all. Um, so when I think of what wild anarchism actually means, it's these, it's the true beauty of natural ecosystems and the liberating qualities that they have. Um, so when you go out into the wild, you can you can have fun, you can get in dangerous situations. Sometimes it's eerie out there. Uh, often it's beautiful. Uh, it's awe-inspiring. It gets us the hell away from everything that's going on in our lives. We're not around political systems. We're not around economic systems. Um, we get to enjoy some leisure time, which is all that much more important these days when we're connected to work all the time. Um, so it's this appreciation for the wild, and it's the appreciation of the self in the wild. Um, and f an extension of that is when we do come back home, um, what did we learn while we were out there? And how do we start inviting some of those principles back into our lives at home? Um, how do we enhance our leisure time? Um, how do we enjoy the landscape around us when we're in an urban environment? So that's what wild anarchism means to me. And part of that's reconciliation ecology. So um, there's three paradigms to uh, ecological sustainability. No, preservation and conservation is one. Preservation being let's not intrude on the wild. Conservation being let's use the wild sustainably for provisioning resources like wood and cotton, whatever it would be. Um, restoration is going into these landscapes that have been disturbed and trying to Re reorganize them and kick re-kickstart ecological succession. And then reconciliation is actually inviting, instead of this idea that we need to constantly spread into the hinterlands, reconciliation ecology is, you know, I am a biological organism. How do we invite those hinterlands back into the, to the city? And so uh, things like urban farms, um, big restoration projects in, in creeks around town trying to increase water quality, something as simple as a neighborhood cleanup, something as revolutionary as the tomato plant in your front yard. Uh, all of that uh, increases habitat space, it cleans up the natural environment, it makes overall public and environmental health better, and it's a way to reconcile a human-dominated landscape with the environment. Why are libertarians and anarchists not well-versed in ecological problems? Um, that's a really interesting question. Um, I almost think that they are. I, I, I think that it's, it's a hard thing to talk about because for so long the environmental movement, you know, throughout the, throughout the, the 60s it was policy-based. It was the Clean Air Act, it was the Clean Water Act, it was the EPA. Um, it was these big sweeping policies, and, and that's tip. And even today, we still think of these big policies um, that are out there to protect the environment, and they're and they're a state issue. I think if we actually were to pry into a little bit into libertarians and uh, into anarchists a little bit, though, when when you get to the 80s, the, that ideology kind of switched into this idea of sustainability, which is you know um, using resources sustainably so that we can enhance our quality of life, but also not rob this quality of life from future generations. And that, the quality of life argument, is something that I think all anarchists and libertarians could get behind. And when you start noting what sustainability is, that's actually a market-based approach to um, ecological issues. 
um, especially with this uh, idea of ecosystem services, which are things that the human population gets from the natural world for free simply because it's there. So things like provisioning resources or cultural resources, supporting services, the things that actually keep us alive like oxygen in the air and things like that, regulating services like better air quality, better water quality, um, carbon storage and things like that. So I, I think it's exploring environmentalism in a different way. Um, so once you bring up these market approaches and market dynamics and actually get into what sustainability actually is, you can critique state power, you can critique human dominance, which is something that libertarians and anarchists alike can get along with. Plus you get to introduce uh, a bit of environmentalism in there too. Eleanor Ostrom, um, her research is just, it's incredible. Uh, and, and the stuff that stemmed from her research is incredible. So as far as how it shaped my politics, I've had this really weird voyage uh, to get here. Um, I was initially brought in to, uh, or learned of anarchism from Howard Zinn when I read A People's History of the United States. And so I was like, well, that sounds pretty cool. What's that all about? And of course, if you read Zinn, you're not too far away from discovering Noam Chomsky. Um, and so, and then he's perplexing because, you know, on some issues he's a very progressive liberal, and but his overall goal is, you know, a stateless society. So that's interesting to wrap your head around. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, in 2008 came Ron Paul, who I liked, and I didn't think I should like him, but that got me scratching my head, like, what's going on here? And that's when I discovered Murray Rothbard and some others. Um, and that got me on Google. And so I got on Google and I was like, how do I put these idea of markets and these big ideas of these progressive champions together? And I found C4SS. Um, and so when I got there, it was actually James Tuttle um, who sent me some documents on Eleanor Ostrom. Um, and she's a great synthesis of both. Um, she believes in markets and market diversity um, in that um, not in a market as a pure economic system, but a bunch of institutions that are crafted from the bottom up that compete with each other and the best policy wins. Um, so that's fundamental to her research um, and she does a lot with uh, environmental issues. This idea of the tragedy of the commons, you see in her research that it kind of gets turned on its head. Um, that excessive regulation, uh, people tend to ignore excessive regulation, uh, for better or worse, it's, it's what they do. When, but when people are able to craft their own policies, they're proud of it and they follow it um, and it's because they're in charge of it um, and so from Eleanor Ostrom I was able to or, or Ostrom I was able to discover uh, adaptive collaborative management um, and adaptive governments and I was actually taking a, a graduate course in that at the time uh, and her name popped up in that graduate course quite a bit um, and it's been a very successful method of resource conflict resolution um, and I think there's a lot to learn from her Okay, so as far as tactics go, I would, uh, as to make a, an, an anarchist society, um, stateless society that's also green, um, the anarchist society, um, you know, I do my, my activism for a stateless society and to, and to enhance my ideas of human liberty behind a keyboard. Um, that's what I'm comfortable with. And I will absolutely go to town hall meetings and I'll get my voice in there. Um, just uh, uh, in the past spring, uh, the Bureau of Land Management uh, was having um, 
some hearings on what to do with uh, coal ash and, and, and uh, further strip mining permits, and I let them know that I'm not a fan of any of those. Um, and you know, so I'm I'm very comfortable in in writing. I'm uh, very comfortable in speaking, and I'm very comfortable in engaging the political con uh, uh, establishment. And that's that's me. That's what I want to do. Um, it's on an individual basis. Um, there are thing. There are other tactics out there. Um, you know, more direct ac actions, civil disobedience, and things like that that I think are fantastic. So what I, all I would argue is is it's on an individual basis what tactics you want to use because there are uh, different consequences for different tactics. So know what you're getting into, um, and and don't um, do anything outside of your comfort zone. Uh, would be my advice on tactics. Um, that's an, uh, individuals can make their own decisions to decide what they want to do. Um, personally, as I said, I'm more uh, on the academic mindset and engaging uh, in policy. Um, as far as how to keep it green, I, I would I would recommend if those are issues that people are interested in, I would I would I would learn about the natural sciences, and I would either uh, do it through um, a pure uh, natural sciences, just just reading up on, on geology or biology or, or anything like that, or, or um, I would actually take a look at uh, sociology. What we find is disciplines intersect, so I would just be well versed um, because we can make some really bad decisions that we think are green, like the carbon tax. Um, that actually have some really bad outcomes. Um, so I would know your material and be comfortable with the tactics that you're going to take. Um, and, uh, and I think that way um, any kind of activism um, will make a society more free. Okay, so what problems do anarchists have, have and what do they need to really engage in and do? And I, it's, it's an image. When we say anarchism or anarchist, and I don't think it's a fault of the anarchist, certain sects maybe, I don't think it's a fault of anarchism as a whole, but when we say anarchism or anarchist, that has a very bad connotation to it. And I don't know why. I mean, the, so, you know, as I said before, the way I view anarchism is maximizing human liberty and happiness and challenging systems of power and domination. Um, and I think that's an idea that most people really get behind. I mean, we live in the United States of America and, you know, that's seems to be what we should be all about so I think a bit the biggest problem that anarchism has is for some reason we're equated with violence and these really marginal groups um, what we need to do is 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 actually get out there let people know that we're nice you know we have families um, we have people in our lives that we really care about we have passions um, we're real breathing human beings that don't want to cause chaos and disruption. It's very much the opposite. We want to, we want to make sure that people live long, healthy, good lives uh, free of oppression, and whether it be from the state or whether it be from just normal social norms or whatever it is. So I think it's a branding thing is, is, are the problems with anarchists and, and anarchisms. And as far as, as far as the environmental stuff goes, I mean, that's my personal interest. So um, others that are out there interested in it, get together and talk um, but you know some folks are, are interested in different subjects and that's great I mean I love the diversity there I think the diversity is fine um, I think it's a it's a it's, it's how anarchism's been branded that I think is our, is our big problem so So politics that uh, I'm interested in, um, as, as far as resources to learn a little bit about it, I mean, the net is fantastic. Um, so you pop anything uh, in on the net and it'll come up. I would encourage people to check out C4SS. It's, it was 
it was pretty revolutionary for me. So c4ss.org, uh, I, I would have folks check out. Um, but YouTube videos, I mean, I can't imagine the amount of time I've spent watching YouTube. Uh, Chomsky's got some, I mean, everything Chomsky's ever done since the 70s is on YouTube, um, and, and that's fascinating. Um, there's great lectures by Eleanor Ostrom on YouTube, um, um, and um, there's local groups. I mean, I really, if, if, you, if you plug in to your local community, there's local co groups doing things. There's permaculture guilds uh, popping up everywhere. Your uh, farmer's market is, a, is, is actually a radical place to go uh, when, you, when, you, when you really think about what's happening there. Um, and so there's all sorts of things that, that we can get involved in. You know, we think of anarchism as this big idea and, you know, it's these certain sects that you have to go to, but anarchism's an everyday thing. Um, so any kind of group that folks are interested in, uh, anything that, that's in their local community that they can partake in, well, go partake in it. Jump on YouTube, uh, learn, uh, look up folks that you're interested in, and just type, type stuff in the internet. I mean, information's everywhere. So. Thanks to Grant Mincy, Students for a Stateless Society, and a big thanks to our Patreon community, whose ongoing support makes all of our work possible. If you would like more content like this in the world, you can help sustain and grow the non-Serbia media collective by becoming a Patreon supporter yourself. To watch the original video interview or any one of our 100 plus other videos covering topics from anarchist and anti-authoritarian perspectives, head over to our YouTube channel and subscribe. Connect with non-Serbia media on Twitter, Instagram, and Mastodon. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time.